Today we get to look at the, the story of Zacchaeus, and I, I assume most of us are pretty familiar with that beloved and well-known story. Um, but before we read the passage together, I, I want to remind you of the encounter that Jesus just previously had with uh, Bartimaeus. Um, you know, after Bartimaeus received his sight, uh, verse 43 of, of Luke 18, uh, it says that when they saw it, they gave praise to God, right? When all the people saw it, they gave praise to God. The, the people saw something, Jesus healing the blind man, and it had a very positive effect on the people. They, they glorified God. Now, skip down to verse seven, chapter 19, and we have a very similar phrase, yet with a different result. The verse says, verse seven, when they saw it, they all began to grumble. The people saw something, uh, Jesus going to the home of Zacchaeus, and it had a very negative effect on them. Uh, they grumbled, they slandered Jesus and Zacchaeus. He has gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. I'm sure each of us have experienced uh, both kinds of when they saw it moments. Um, or, or maybe it's more common to, uh, to actually have when they heard it moments. Sometimes people respond positive, positively to what they, what they hear, what they see, what they perceive. And if they're believers, then they, they rejoice, they praise, they glorify God. Um, but perhaps often the case is that people are quick to respond negatively to what they perceive or hear happening. Even believers, whether good news or bad news, often the knee-jerk reaction is, is negative. If it's good news about someone else, uh, others react negatively through uh, jealousy, uh, bitterness. Uh, it's, it's easy to, to think when something good happens to someone, it's, it's unfair, why did they get that good thing and, and not me? Uh, just as we saw last week in the parable of uh, the workers who'd worked one hour who'd received the whole day's wage. Uh, when we hear something bad happening or perceive someone doing something bad, it's easy to quickly judge that person, to get angry with them or slander their name. Now, if you've been on the receiving end of that judgment or anger or slander, whether innocently or non-innocently, you know how hurtful it can be. Often people are quick to grumble, even without knowing the, the full story, without seeing the big picture. This is what happened to Zacchaeus and Jesus. Let's read the, together the narrative. Luke 19, starting in verse one. He entered Jericho and was passing through. And there was a man called by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and he was rich. Zacchaeus was trying to see who Jesus was and was un unable because of the crowd for he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree in order to see him for he was about to pass through that way. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for today I must stay at your house. And he hurried and came down and received him gladly. When they saw it, they all began to grumble, saying, he is gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. Let's, let's pause right there for, at verse seven. Why were the people grumbling over Jesus being the guest of a, a sinner? Was it that they thought wicked Zacchaeus didn't deserve to entertain the Lord's presence? Uh, or did they feel that Jesus was less good because he had chosen to hang out with a well-known bad guy? 
Jesus had just recently stated how hard it was for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And after that rich man, young man turned away from him, Jesus, he said, truly I say to you, it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I say to you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Based on that statement alone, surely Jesus wouldn't be pursuing Zacchaeus for spiritual reasons. I mean, after all, he was a rich man. He was an impossible candidate according to the words Jesus just recently spoke. Maybe they thought Jesus was a phony and was seeking financial gain, financial prosperity through extorting Zacchaeus. I can imagine all kinds of grumblings and, and rumors being birthed after Jesus called out, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down for today I must stay at your house. Those words alone were slightly peculiar in nature as well. Nowhere else do we have record of Jesus inviting himself over to one's house with such force. Today I must stay at your house. The words um, were not only peculiar, but the whole visit was peculiar. Uh, This is the only record we have of Jesus visiting Jericho. Uh, He had told the parable of the Good Samaritan traveling down from Jerusalem to Jericho, but this is actually the only place we have mentioned Jesus visiting the city. Yes, slightly abnormal circumstances do seem to serve as tremendous breeding grounds for all types of gossip and rumors. Zacchaeus, he was a, a Jewish man, and his name means clean and pure, but he had chosen a profession that betrayed his Jewish name. You know, there are some professions that carry with them a bit of condemnation to the men they employ. Sincerity and integrity and honesty are probably not words that you'd use to describe an international spy. Kind, loving, and forgiven are probably not words used to describe a litigation attorney. And like minor, there wasn't too many good words that a Jew would come up with for for someone who had condescended uh, to be a tax collector for the oppressive Roman government. For the Jewish people of this time, this was perhaps the the most despised employee of the year. Uh, The man who who collected taxes on behalf of the Romans had to have been so distrusted, so despised, uh, they would be considered a traitor and the animosity would grow is, is these traders would often demand even more money than Rome was asking to collect in order to benefit themselves financially. Yeah, this story create, has great elements for piecing together some juicy rumors, especially for those who were looking for ways to tarnish Jesus' name. But while the grumbling was taking place, while the spin doctors were doing their work and weaving their stories and rumors were forming, Look at what really is taking place. Verse eight. Zacchaeus stopped and said to the Lord, behold, Lord, half of my possessions I will give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will give back four times as much. And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because he too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Now, it's unclear if this declaration from Zacchaeus in verse eight actually took place as he was getting down from the tree or perhaps as he was on the way to the house or, or maybe it took place once he was already in the house behind closed doors. But this, de- 
creation itself, and no matter what time it took place, it could have led to even more gossip, slander, rumors. I can see the people, uh, wow, what a show, uh, what a liar. I mean, even if he's serious, who are the poor people that he's gonna give to? Uh, maybe it's really a scam to, to cover up something he did. Uh, he's gonna rig who he's given this money to. That's it, it's hush money. And he's now trying to spin it as him being gracious? Can you hear all the rumors? But look at the truth of the situation. Jesus declares in verse nine, today salvation has come to this house. Wow, it would have been so easy to assume some other scenario based on perception, talk in the street, in the unusual circumstances. But what was really happening was a conversion displaying a true heart and mind change that would affect the trajectory of this man Zacchaeus' life forever. The kingdom of God was expanding. Zacchaeus was already a Jew, a descendant of Abraham, but because of Jesus' scandalous, rumor-enticing actions, this Jewish man was receiving forgiveness and becoming a true son of Abraham, a spiritual member of God's family. Jesus states, matter-of-factly, today salvation has come to this house. Zacchaeus doesn't ask anything of Jesus. Jesus actually asks something of him, demanding that he stay at his house. And on Zacchaeus' own accord, he publicly deals with the elephant in the room, his less-than-reputable career. He, he openly repents as a man who had made financial gain his, his number one goal in life. He makes a statement demonstrating that money no longer has a hold on his life. And additionally, he, he states that in any case he has done wrong to someone else, not only will he make it right, but he'll make it right four times over. Exodus 21, 22.1 states, if a man steals an ox or a sheep and slaughters it or sells it, he pays five oxen for the ox and four sheep for the sheep. But Zacchaeus hadn't stolen any oxen or sheep. Numbers 5, 6 through 7 says, when a man or woman commits any of the sins of mankind, acting unfaithfully against the Lord, and that person is guilty, then he shall confess his sins which he has committed, and he shall make restitution in full for his wrong, and add to it one-fifth of it, and give it to him whom he has wronged. Zacchaeus probably could have claimed this Old Testament law and announced, if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will give it back plus one-fifth. But he's not aiming to fulfill the minimum law requirements. He's rather been radically convicted and changed and he's now realized the death grip that, that money, guilt, and shame has had in his, during his whole life. And he wants to get as far away from that as possible. He fully surrenders to Jesus and receives salvation. Just recently, uh, the rich young man had come to Jesus seeking salvation, seeking the minimum requirements for access to his eternal kingdom. And that young rich man turned away, realizing that he couldn't let go of the one thing keeping him from following Jesus and entering into that kingdom. It is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. But here we have the rich man Zacchaeus, uh, not asking for the minimal requirements to, to make things right, not asking for the minimal requirements to receive forgiveness, not asking for the minimum requirements for entrance into the kingdom of heaven. 
No, he's one who has found a, a buried treasure and is willing to, to sell whatever it takes in order to buy the land that that treasure is contained in. Complete surrender. Can the same be said of you and I? Have we fallen in love with Jesus so much that we go above and beyond any requirement or to display that we are true citizens, authentic citizens of his kingdom? You know, in contrasting Zacchaeus' story and the, the rich man's story, it would appear better to have the mindset of what can I give Jesus rather than what do I have to get, give Jesus? There is a difference. And perhaps determining which mindset you identify with, uh, that would give a pretty good indicator of to what degree Jesus has really laid a hold of your heart. I want you to look at another comparison. Uh, notice that in the previous, when they saw it moment, in the previous chapter, verse 43, after Jesus had healed Bartimaeus, we don't know for certain that salvation came to that household that day. Uh, perhaps we could build a case that uh, Jesus not only healed him physically, but healed him spiritually, but the reality is that we don't know for certain. And not everyone who was healed ended up following Jesus. And we have cases where Jesus healed someone physically and it's left open-ended as to if they became believers and truly followed Jesus or not. In other cases, it is spelled out that they received spiritual healing and chose to receive his forgiveness as well and, and, and chose to follow Jesus from that day forward. Perhaps Bartimaeus, based on his answer to Jesus back in verse 41, Perhaps all he really did want from Jesus was to regain his sight and nothing more. If this was the case, then this passage about Bartimaeus is really displaying a tragedy. If all Bartimaeus wanted and received that day was new sight, then the point is emphasized even further that we need to be cautious in our when we see it moments. And we might be rejoicing and celebrating, not knowing the whole story, assuming something is good when maybe it isn't fully and truly good. In contrast, like what happened amongst the people around Zacchaeus and Jesus, we could be grumbling and slandering people when the reality is that we don't know the whole story and, and something really good is actually happening. God's church, his people, been drastically wounded by gossip and rumor and slanders and, and, and conflict. His kingdom has suffered damage because the body of believers often turns in on itself and devours each one another, uh, creating distrust and dysfunction, disunity. We forget the wisdom of Philippians 2, 3 through 4, where it says, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. It, it doesn't say look out for the interests of others only when they are right or only when they agree with you. No, look out for the interests of others, period. The backstory to this verse was that Paul was writing to the church in Philippi and it was a small town congregation in Greece and that body of believers was dealing with a conflict between two women and that conflict was splitting the church. Throughout this letter, Paul was encouraging reconciliation, 
unity, healing, peace. And it was in this environment that he penned the words, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. So how can we as believers stop further damage from taking place to his kingdom? How can we properly handle our when we see it, when we hear it moments? Before they turn into opportunities for gossip, rumor, slander, and even conflict. I found an article online that listed four simple rules that might help us in this area and I've adapted a portion of it in order to present to you. The article states, first, before you repeat anything, ask yourself, do I have all the facts? Often when we hear uh, something about someone, we, we just don't have all the facts. Before repeating any information about someone, make sure you have all the facts. Most information passed along through a grapevine has either been embellished or has important points left out. Second, before you repeat anything you hear, ask, can I tell this in the presence of the person involved? Usually it's embarrassing to repeat juicy half-truths or harsh judgments about an individual to his or her face. We should hide other people's faults, not expose them. Proverbs 17.9 says, He who conceals a transgression seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates intimate friends. Next, after getting all the facts and being able to repeat the information to the person's face, ask, will it do good or will it help? Will it be beneficial? Most information passed along a grapevine does more harm than good. God expects us to use our tongues to edify and uplift individuals. 1 Thessalonians 5.11 says, encourage one another and build up one another. Strive to always focus on people's strengths rather than their weaknesses. Philippians 4.8, finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. Again, that verse was specifically addressed to the church in Philippi those experiencing conflict, gossip, slander, splitting. And finally, stop gossip before it spreads. Don't give an ear to the, the gossiper. Uh, listening makes us equally as guilty as the one talking. If someone calls us with a rumor, an accusation, or a slander, the easiest way to stop it is to inform the person talking that you refuse to listen. This will stop gossip dead in its tracks. It's possible you can tell someone, I don't need to hear that right now, or that's just not for me to know. We can be protective of one another. We can stand up for one another, offering a good truth concerning the person being gossiped about. We need to strive to think the best of others and be sensitive to the Holy Spirit as we perceive, as we see, as we hear, as we speak. This is a huge issue. And I believe it weighs heavy on the Lord's heart. Listen to what Proverbs 6, 16 through 19 says. There are six things which the Lord hates. Yes, seven which are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, 
and hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that run rapidly to evil, a false witness who utters lies, and one who spreads strife among his brothers. This proverb is, it's using a Hebraic poetic literary device to draw attention to that seventh last item by saying there are six things which the Lord hates, yes, seven. This phrasing was a clever Jewish way of drawing particular emphasis to that seventh item, one who spreads strife among brothers. The Lord hates that. Far be it from us to participate in something that the Lord hates and calls an abomination. Look also at what David says in Psalm 15, one through three. O Lord, who may abide in your tent? Who may dwell on your holy hill? He who walks with integrity and works righteousness and speaks truth in his heart. He does not slander with his tongue, nor does evil to his neighbor, nor takes up a reproach against his friend. David, a man after God's own heart, basically says, Lord, I, I know the kind of person that you want to be in fellowship with. I know the characteristics one has and who doesn't have, who, who can be in your presence. Uh, Lord God, you, you hang out with those having integrity and righteousness and truth, who, who don't slander, who don't do evil against neighbors, who don't take up reproach. In other words, who don't take up discrediting or spreading evil words about a neighbor. And the opposite truth is implied. God doesn't want to hang out with someone without integrity, who is unrighteous, dishonest, who slanders, who does evil against neighbors or spreads evil words about their neighbors or brothers or sisters, friend, fellow human. I'm asking that we as believers take this very seriously. May all of our when we see it, when we hear it moments be filtered through the Holy Spirit. May we seek to build up the body of Christ in humility regarding one another as more important, looking out for the interests of others. Let's bow our heads. Father, this is a really serious issue and I know it's one that you don't take lightly and one that we shouldn't take lightly. And Lord, I imagine that even in this county, there's been so much damage done because we have not heeded your word in this matter. Father, I pray right now that you even convict our hearts for, for speaking of things that we shouldn't have been speaking about, for, for maybe lashing out or reacting negatively when we didn't know the whole story, or uh, thinking ill of another brother or believer or church body or, or friend or family member forgive us for not protecting and, and aiming to bring about unity to your body Lord I know this must grieve your heart so we're asking forgiveness I'm asking forgiveness Lord when I hear of something may I think the best and if I need to may I approach someone individually in private and talk about it, and, and maybe something is, is done non-innocently. Maybe there is something wrong going on, but I can address it without causing more damage, without bringing in more people that, 
and spreading the fire. Lord, help me to be more aware of that. And Lord, I ask that each one of us here or listening right now that, that they would take this very seriously and seek to be obedient to you in this regard. Lord, allow our hearts to, to trust you, that you see all, that you can deal with issues and you don't need our help. And you don't need our help spreading ill or, or, or bad thoughts, words about others. Allow us, even when someone has wronged us, allow us to take the mindset that I'm even gonna go as far as, as to, to ask for blessing for that person's life. I'm, I'm gonna seek to bless them in my actions. I'm gonna seek to bless them when I speak of them. I'm gonna seek to, to bless them through that offering prayers to you on, on their behalf. Lord, allow us to take the high road in this. So be as Jesus. Lord, I pray that even this week you'd remind us of this, this teaching, that you'd remind us of your heart, that you'd remind us of these verses, and that we'd be very careful with our tongues. Lord, we thank you for your presence with us. We thank you for all that you've given us. Lord, we seek to honor you. And it's in your name we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen.